No doubt you noticed, there we go. No doubt you noticed we're having a little bit of mic problems, so I've got a backup here. My pockets are full this morning. It's good to be together. This morning, we get to begin a one-month sermon series looking at the topic I already shared with you uh, in our announcements. Study notes, questions from River Park youth putting their faith to the test. This is one of the joys of being a Mosaic community, that as we see and recognize different groups within our church, we get to see and hear different perspectives and questions from our diverse members. And so over the next month, Pastor Harrison and myself are going to try and answer some of the questions and address some of the concerns from the youth that are in our church. But also, we want to celebrate the insights and contributions of our youth. And so youth, uh, I know that I have not directly asked all of you for questions. Uh, Pastor Harrison and I have, have solicited some, and we've got a couple other people to talk with still. So if you've got a question as a youth, and you think uh, you'd like an answer, or you'd like to see it included in this series in some way, come, uh, come pester me after the service. I'm also going to join you guys as youth at that, gra- at that party after the service, and so you can ask me there as well. Today, though, we're looking at the Bible. And I've entitled this sermon, The Bible is a Strange Book, because it is. I've shared with all of you uh, that I love reading. I love reading widely, all kinds of different things. One of my favorite authors is the astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. And in 2017, Neil deGrasse Tyson wrote a book called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. So... If you think that uh, the Bible is, uh, could be thicker, try and imagine all of space and time crammed into uh, yeah, 200 pages. Uh, that's what he attempts to do anyway. And so it's no surprise, right? When an interesting person writes an interesting book, then there's a lot of publicity. And so I want to share uh, just a brief video clip from an interview that he did with Stephen Colbert, a late night talk show host who's also a devout Roman Catholic. And here, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson in this video is talking about how gravity is pulling our galaxies apart so that everything in the universe is accelerating further and further away from, uh, over time. So let's watch this 60-second uh, clip. Everything we know about the history of the universe comes to us from these galaxies. If they accelerate beyond our horizon, the next generation of cosmic explorers will only have the stars of the Milky Way to think about. And I, so there, there's an, there would have been an entire chapter of the universe ripped from their view. And they will be trying to contemplate an understanding of the universe without a significant part of what its past was. And so I lose sleep wondering, today, was there some previous chapter ripped from the universe itself? And here we are. <laughs> And here we are, you know, touching the elephant, not knowing that, in fact, there's an elephant standing there. Or maybe there's the shadow of the elephant and the elephant has been moved. We don't know what we don't know. And this leaves me awake at night. We don't know what we don't know, he says. And this leaves me awake at night. Now, Probably all of us agree that science, including astrophysics, can tell us a whole lot about our world and our universe. And we're not this morning going to focus on the conversation between science and, uh, and faith, but 
even though science, one of the smartest astrophysics in the world, even though he recognizes that there are some things that science can't tell us or doesn't, isn't able to tell us about the world, even though science can't tell us everything about the world, do we dismiss science? Of course not. When we don't understand one part, we continue to look elsewhere in the universe for answers. We steady the problem with more intensity and purpose. We invite new eyes and new perspectives. Now, what about the Bible? I give you that, analogy, or that, that story about science and astrophysics as an analogy, that if that's how we interact with the world, that's perhaps also how we should interact with God's Word. So if science offers us one understanding or one window, one perspective into our world, what does the Bible offer? To answer that question, we need to understand what the Bible is and also what it isn't. So let's start with what it isn't. The Bible isn't a dictionary where you can quickly reference an answer or a top or a definition for any topic. The Bible also doesn't speak about everything. In fact, it says that it doesn't speak about everything. One of my favorite verses in the Gospels is the last verse in the Gospel of John, where John says if, if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, though, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to record it all. The Bible is, however, a unique book in the history of our world. The Bible is a collection, actually, of 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a period of more than 1,500 years, 1,500 years. And the Bible tells stories that span from the beginning of the world to the end. That hasn't even happened yet. If you try and understand the period of time over which God inspired the Bible, consider this. You and I, all of us, the, even the oldest among us, we live closer to the life of Jesus than Abraham did. Just think about that for a minute. Our lives, even the oldest of us, are closer to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus than is the story of Abraham. And Abraham's not even, Abraham's in Genesis, but it's not even the beginning. The Bible spans a huge period of time. Not only is the Bible a story that spans this big period in history, but it's also a story inspired by God. We believe as Christians that God the Holy Spirit inspired human writers to write what they wrote and, and to write how they wrote. God worked through history and through the writing of the Bible such that as the story continued, more and more of God's character, more and more of God's purposes were revealed to his people in, in greater and clearer parts. When we talk about the Spirit inspiring people, the $10 word or the big theological term that we use is organic inspiration. And likewise, when we talk about God revealing himself more and more and more throughout history, the, the theological term is progressive revelation. That as history progresses, God reveals himself more and more. But there's one more thing that the Bible isn't and is. The Bible isn't a science textbook that you study in your classrooms. The Bible isn't like Neil deGrasse Tyson's book. It isn't for people in a hurry. 
It's not a list of the facts and figures of faith about our world that we can quickly reference to get ourselves out of trouble. You see, we have our own lenses. We have our own perspective and approach by which we approach life. We're all influenced by life in the 21st century. And on top of that, we have our, our culture, the forming community that we are a part of and that we grew up in, and also our individual experiences. We all have our own lenses and perspectives by which we approach one another, the world, and God's Word. But the Bible, it's in here somewhere. There we go. The Bible has its own lens as well. It's written to ancient people in ancient cultures, to different people from different parts of the world, with different experiences from us and different expectations of the world. Than, we, than ours. And as such, the Bible includes all kinds of different genres as well. If you've heard the word genres before, it was prob- it's probably in a language arts class. Although uh, one of the students this morning who's helping us out told me that he s- doesn't really listen in English. So that's a shame. You should all listen in English. I was an English student uh, in, in college. It was excellent. But that's an aside. If you've heard the word genres before, then it was probably in that language arts context or English classroom. And the Bible has many different genres. There's poetry, there's prophecy that includes things like apocalyptic literature, prophesying the end of the world. There's law and narrative stories. There's wisdom. There's also letters. We get to read other people's mail. How often? It's not a federal offense if it's in the Bible. We understand implicitly, I think, that if we receive a text message from a friend, that that's a totally different thing than if we get the story of our family's immigration to Canada. That both of those are different still from the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. All contain truth. All are important parts of what it means for us to live in our world today. But these are different genres of communication. The Bible contains all of these and more. So what, then, is the Bible really about? If the Bible is this strange book that's written across centuries with all different kinds of genre uh, and from different cultural perspectives, how can we even read it? Does everybody need to go to seminary and become a multilingual and fluent in Greek and Hebrew to begin to understand? Of course not. If we want to understand what the Bible is about, then we simply need to do one thing to start. We need to take a step back. We can see how parts of Scripture, or we can see parts of Scripture better if we understand the whole. And in fact, it's the whole that helps us under, in, understand and interpret individual parts, especially the parts that are difficult. To fully understand the whole story, we need the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit spoke through and inspired the Bible, so also the Spirit speaks to us today to help us understand the whole story and find our place in it. So here it is. The Bible teaches us who God is what it means to be a part of God's family, and how to remain in close relationship with God. 
But from start to finish, the Bible is mainly about God. The Bible tells us that God is eternal and consistent. This is the reason why the Bible is still important today. Because if God is eternal and consistent, then how God interacted with people in the past helps us today to understand how God will interact with us and what God will continue to do in the future. We need to know how the Bible was written and what part of the story we're reading in order to better understand it. And we need to see that all the parts fit into the whole. If the whole story is about God, then we need to be very careful when we try to find parts that are about my problems or apply only to my situation. If the whole story is about God, then all the parts are trying to tell us about God too. If you took an English class, you would learn that. Now, I'm done with English. We're going back to the Bible. Reformed Christians have recognized the story of the Bible can be broken up into four main parts, and you can see those behind me. Uh, I'm going to break them down into just a few, uh, a few more, into seven movements. But you can see behind me there how creation uh, and then the fall and redemption how those things continue to affect those of us today, those little people there where we find ourselves in history. And how all of those come to an end and find their fulfillment in the new creation when Jesus returns and, and ushers in heaven on earth. But as I said, I want to break these down just a little further so we can see that there's creation, rebellion, Old Testament promise, Christ, the New Testament promise, a final judgment, and then our new creation. And so even, a, even how we understand these seven movements tells us a lot about the lens through which we approach the Bible. So we could emphasize some parts of the Bible and we could tell the story this way. This is 150 words, and if I butcher it, it'll be 160. God created a good and perfect world, but humans rebelled against him and tried to choose good and evil for ourselves. As a result, we brought sin, death, and division into our world. God punished humanity by removing Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. But God promised that he would bring blessing and salvation to solve our brokenness and sin. As history continued, sin increased. But the Old Testament tells the story of God moving his promise toward fulfillment. Then Jesus was born. The Son of God came to live on the earth and save us from our sins through his death, even to restore all creation. After Jesus rose from the dead, the New Testament church was formed. People who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and who follow Jesus until the end of time when God will return to judge, to set all things right, and to welcome his people into paradise forever with him. That's certainly the story of the Bible in about 150 words. But consider for a moment that we could use the same seven movements and tell exactly the same story in a very different way. So let's try again in the same amount of time, 150 words or so. God is eternally powerful, respected, and faithful. God decided to show his glory and power by creating the world. 
and to share His goodness and honor with humanity. But humans rejected God's honor. We tried to create glory for ourselves. As a result, humanity's honor vanished, and we felt shame. As disloyal and dishonorable children, God removed Adam and Eve from His presence to preserve His own dignity. As history continued, Adam and Eve gave birth to others, and they gave birth to others who all inherited their parents' shame and added to it themselves. As more and more groups formed, shame increased. The only one who could restore honor to shameful people was God himself. And so God became human and entered our shameful world. Jesus loved and accepted everyone regardless of their shame. Jesus took the shame of the world and defeated it through his death on the cross. He rose from death to glory. Following Jesus makes us worthy and acceptable to God. It makes us able to avoid the final judgment and share in God's glory and honor in his life and to share, with, for, share in life with God in heaven forever. This is what the Bible is about. It tells the story of God's work through history from beginning to end. It tells the story of God's creation of humans and interaction with us. It pictures for us how we too can be a part of God's family. As I said, we have to know what the Bible is about in large strokes before we can begin to understand the smaller parts and details. So now we get to the excellent question from one of our youth. What do we do when we wrestle with or we don't understand what the Bible says? This is a great question because our youth are realizing that the Bible is a strange book. That because it's compiled over different times and written to different cultures, that when we come to the Bible, we shouldn't just expect to understand everything, especially not right away. The Bible tells us about God, and we can't know God fully. We can't understand Him completely. That's why we celebrate that we're a part of a mosaic community, because each of us can understand one, only one small part. But as diverse people, we understand different parts, and so together we see more fully. If just as individuals... We try to reach out to God with our own experience and our own knowledge. We'll miss him. Just like Neil deGrasse Tyson recognized about the universe. We know, or we don't know, what we don't know. And what we do know is, quote, so small. If we don't fully understand the universe, does it mean it doesn't exist? Of course not. We just have more to learn. Likewise, the Bible tells us that God has reached out to us, that he's used human language and expressions and words. He's used content to meet us as people where we are, at a cultural level, at an individual level, at a certain point in time. And the Bible also tells us that God continues to reach out to his people today. As we saw in that diagram before that the fall, both creation and the fall, continue to affect us. Sin closes our eyes to the truth 
especially to the truth of God. And so when we read the Bible just from our own perspective, our self-centered perspectives, even the perfect and honorable actions of Jesus sometimes make no sense to us. We, can't, we can only see from our limited perspective, but our limited perspective isn't enough. However, God, in his perspective, is focused on others. He's focused not on himself, but on love. And God is not limited as we are. He is unlimited. If we only keep our own lens, we'll continue to struggle. But because the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit all those years ago, it can also be revealed by the Holy Spirit to us today. So here's a a short and utterly insufficient answer to that excellent question. What do we do when we wrestle with or don't understand what what the Bible says? First, we pray. We ask God to open our eyes to see and hear and understand what he's saying because we don't come to Scripture alone. Second, we should talk with someone that we trust or respect who's also a part of God's family because we don't come to Scripture alone. We read the Bible not just as individuals, but as a faith community. And it's part of the responsibility of God's family that we reach out and encourage one another to grow in faith. That we share the wisdom that the Holy Spirit has given us as individuals. The wisdom that God has blessed us with over the years. That we share that with others who are coming to faith and growing in faith. That we learn from them as well. Third, after praying and talking with someone you trust, Try to understand. Try and understand two things. First, where is this passage in the story? The person who brought this to me had specific questions about specific verses, right? What does this one mean? And then turn a couple pages, what does that mean? Try and understand where your questions are, where they fit in the big story. Which movement is it in? Which genre is it in? And then try and understand what the passage might have meant to its first audience. Learn more about the culture and expectations, the hopes of the people who first received the letter, of the audience that first received God's word. Now, this is where we always, I think, maybe always is overstating it, but barely, this is where we almost always get stuck. We think uh, that we need to spend days or weeks or maybe even months. Uh, There's more to learn. There's more of the context, the original audience, more of their world to understand. There's more to understand about the passage and where it fits in the big story. But if we stop at number three, we're going to stall out. Maybe even just throw up our hands and give up and say, well, I, I just don't know enough. So let me just pause for a second and say, don't do it. Don't stop there. If we linger just trying to understand, we're going to stall out. We can't fully understand God's perfect words. It doesn't mean they're incomprehensible. It doesn't mean we can't understand as best to the best of our abilities. And it doesn't mean that God's word is wrong or unimportant. Instead, it means that If the Bible is about God, 
then the Bible always points to God and never points back to itself. So we have to move on to the last step, which is taking a step of faith. Have you, after you've prayed and listened to the Spirit and talked with someone you trust and respect, after you've tried to understand a little bit, it's vitally important for us as Christians that we make a decision or a choice or an action based on our understanding. That we take a risk and try to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. See, the Christian faith is not a matter of getting the answers all right on paper. Sometimes I like to joke with people that when we get to heaven, God is not going to uh, hand out a test to everybody as it were, right? And say, make sure you get all the answers right and then we'll let you in. Our faith is not about getting all the answers right on paper. Our faith is actually a matter of following. Following Jesus and knowing God in intimate relationship. We so easily forget this especially in the Western church, because we're such good segmenters, right? We, wanna, we know we can't understand the whole thing, so we want to understand just one little part. We, wanna, we can't understand the whole thing fully, so we want to understand one little part fully. Sometimes we even make the mistake of thinking the smaller the chunk, the better. By analogy, imagine that God is inviting us to go on a journey with him. As he is. He's inviting us to go for a walk in the forest. We see a little beetle. We come to the first tree and we see a little beetle at work in a knot hole in the tree. We stop and we steady it for a little while. We cut down the tree and we steady the hole. We dissect the beetle and we pin it to a card and we write its little Latin name underneath it. And we add it to our collection. But friends, God is trying to take us on a walk in the forest. It's so easy for us to get sidetracked with all the details. We think we make the same mistake with faith. You may think that it's necessary to get every little thing right. To understand the Bible as best as we can. And of course, that's good. An important work. But we can only get our faith right by living it. We can only get our faith right by living it. If we, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, a passage that we so often mistakenly think is about marriage. He says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, if and have not love, I am nothing. If I comprehend the mysteries of the galaxy, but have not love, I am nothing. We only get our faith right by living it. We only understand the Bible because the Bible tells us about God when we actively respond to God as He reaches out to us. This is why we pray when we don't understand a passage. It's why we come to God with problems in our lives and when we are in pain. We do not need God to change our situation. We don't need God to give us more perfect wisdom or insight. We may want those things. Those are good things. But what we need is for God to draw closer to us. We need Jesus to share his honor with us, to cover our shame. 
We need the Holy Spirit to fill us. God himself is the answer to every question, to all of our longings. Please don't think that I'm saying that individual questions are unimportant. I'm only saying that our particular questions and struggles will find their fullest meaning, their most satisfying answer in relationship with God and relationship with God's people. So as we close, I want to close with what I hope is a, a payoff. What, is, what does all of this mean? What does all of this lead us to? And here's the question. Is God smarter than you? The Bible points us to God, not to itself. But the Bible doesn't just point us to God as individuals. It points us to God as a community. The Bible gives us the background of God's redemptive history and or redemptive action in history. But let's remember, the Bible is not our God. The Bible points us to God. In other words, we do not believe in the Bible. We believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in the God the Bible reveals. The Bible is God's story from God for God's people about Him. Scripture says this too. That between God's world, His creation, and His word, Scripture, there's no excuse for not being in relationship with God, not knowing Him. But knowing about Him is not enough. And so as we close, I have this question for you. When you get to a part of the story, a part of the Bible that you wrestle with or don't understand. And it is a when, because the Bible is a strange book and we don't understand every part, certainly not as individuals. When you get to a part of the Bible that you wrestle with and don't understand, what will you do? Will you try in your own strength to understand and then decide to agree or disagree and move on? Will you continue to try to make your own honor? Or will you allow the honor of God to cover your shame? Will you insist that you know best? Or will you allow God and God's people to direct and guide your life? One thing we don't hear nearly enough in Scripture, or excuse me, one thing we don't hear nearly enough in in church is how wise, how smart God is. Think about it for a moment. We might be interested in watching foolish people on the internet, scrolling through reels of of one uh, one bad happening, one bad event, one slip, one fall after another. We spend hours doing that some days, especially our youth. But nobody would follow a fool. Nobody will follow a fool. So do you trust that God is smarter than you are? If he is, keep trying. Take another step of faith. You see, the purpose of the Christian life is not to fully understand. The purpose of the Christian life is to grow to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with humanity. The Bible points us 
to our wise God who can help us grow in every way into our head. That is Christ. Let's come to him in prayer. Father God, we believe that you are smarter than we are. In a world where we are fascinated by fools, where we are interested to hear so many different voices and perspectives coming at us quickly and loudly. God, quiet our hearts to hear your Holy Spirit speaking to us. Open our minds and open our hearts as we approach your word and as we approach your world. God, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit that we just celebrated at Pentecost last Sunday. We celebrate that you have given us your Holy Spirit and equipped us with everything we need to understand and also to act in obedience to you. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a community to be a part of so that we do not have to follow you alone. That you have given us a diverse community that can help us to understand more fully your character, your desire, with our different perspectives, different experiences, different cultures. So Holy Spirit, empower us as individuals and as a community to take steps of faith, boldly relying on your grace, eager to get it wrong, Because we know that even our desires to please you do in fact please you. Even when things don't work out in our world the way that we'd like. Father, give us the boldness and courage that comes with knowing that we share in your honor. That you have shared your honor and your glory with us. And you have entrusted us with the work of your hands. Give us the confidence to follow you to take one wobbly step after another so that even if we don't know everything, we might still grow in your grace and knowledge and we might be built up together into the head of the church, into Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.